Hello, hello, hello. I am your host, Drew, and this is the Lowdown Sports Show, where we get the lowdown on all things basketball. This show is streamed live on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash the Drew League. The channel is partnered with Gamer Advantage, Artisan Builds, and Canva. Gamer Advantage is the first clinically proven lens to stop the suppression of melatonin so that you can get a better night's rest. They also offer prescriptions. Get yours today and use code THEDREW at checkout. Artisan Builds is ready to build your next PC live on Twitch and have it shipped to you within a week. Get up to $100 off by visiting their website and using code THEDREWLEAGUE at checkout. DM them to talk specs and they'll optimize based on your budget. Canva makes designs amazingly simple and fun. Create stunning designs with your photos and videos even if you're not a design expert. Whether you need an Insta Instagram story, logo maker, or birthday invitation, create all these graphic design needs and more on Canva. The first guest today that we're going to get the lowdown from, he is the head coach of the Lion women's basketball team. He is the all-time winningest coach in program history. He holds the program records for wins, conference wins, and winning percentage, and he is the reigning coach of the year in the Lone Star Conference, Mr. Jason Burton. Man, it's a hell of an intro, man. I appreciate it. I know. I had to get all the fixings because, you know, you're the man out here in Lyon County. What's going on, man? I appreciate you having me on today. Of course, my man. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to have a better first guest than you, one who I got my main experience from doing these types of interviews in college. So, hey, I had to do it justice and bring you out here to the people. Well, I appreciate it, man. I'm glad to see you moving on to bigger and better things, man. Proud of what you're doing so far, man. So excited to see, you know, where you take this thing. I appreciate you, man. All right. Today, we're going to get it kicked off. You know, this show is all things basketball, whether it be college, WNBA, or NBA. We're talking it all. It just depends on who we have in the show at the time. And today we have college basketball on the agenda, particularly Division II basketball. And coach, the first thing I want to get to you uh, on and ask you questions about is your staff. You know, uh, over the years, at least in my experience when I was covering the team, um, there was at least a coach that, you know, you shuffled uh, and got replaced by the next year. Not necessarily because they needed replacing, but because they either got a new job somewhere else. Uh, or you added another position on. So, like, uh, this is the first time in a while that you've kept uh, your entire staff in back-to-back -back seasons. You brought back, of course, Markeith Brown, your associate head coach, who's been here with you since the beginning, uh, associate or assistant coach Jeannie Marie Wilson, uh, assistant coach Tyza Emanuel, and, of course, your latest director of basketball ops, Katerina Zibreva. And what, what went into bringing them back again for a second year? And did they say anything to you as to the reasons as why they wanted to come back and be here again? I mean, I think first off, just you go back to my very first assistant, the very first one I lost. Um, and I won't say lost. He had a better opportunity. When you're doing things the right way and you have a good product, I mean, coaches, programs are going to want you. And so my first year, we had Lynn Bishop, and he moved on to SFA, and he's been doing tremendous at SFA. Um, and then my previous, I think Olivia Cece is my most recent uh, coach that I, I lost. We actually scrimmaged against her today. She's at UT Dallas. She went from being a grad assistant to a full-time college assistant. And anytime you get a chance to, to move up, you know, you got to take that opportunity. 
but you always try to retain. I've, I've been fortunate to have Marquise Brown with me, you know, for five years now, going to year six. And Jean Marie, this is year three for her with me. And so um, we've had our three best years, too. You look at that, that synergy on the staff has led to our three best years. And uh, so having Coach Ty and Coach, and, and Coach Kate come back this year, they're both actually in graduate assistant roles. So this is going to be, you know, their last year with us unless uh, a position is created for them or, you know, somebody moves mm -hmm. on. And so that's, that's part of that turnover is we have two grad assistant spots on our staff. You're going to have that turnover at a minimum every two years. And so uh, and it just happened that, you know, like I said, Olivia Cece had one year and got a better opportunity. She already had her master's when she came here. And uh, we kind of knew that going into it, that if something came up, she was probably going to leave. So, uh, but we're very fortunate to have the staff because we have a lot of turnover on our, on our roster and we need that synergy within the staff. That's, that's definitely helped out with the young, as young of a team that we have this year. Right. Especially, you know, graduating seniors going out, many freshmen coming in, you need that security somewhere. And if you don't have it with returning players, you need it with returning staff. And that's important so that things maintain at some level. And uh, speaking of someone who's maintained and been with you, we talked about him, Markeith Brown. Uh, he's been your guy since the beginning. He's been there through the thickest and the thinnest and the, the success and the failures through everything that's been going on. Talk about what he's meant to this program and how you guys have stayed connected and so close and gotten things done year after year. Uh, I mean, we've, we've almost lost him pretty much every year since I've been here, at least especially the last two. You know, we've had so much success the last few years. Uh, we've almost lost him, and, and at some point soon, he's going to get his opportunity to be a head coach, and, and rightfully so. He, he he definitely deserves that. He is uh, he's my right hand man, and it's been it's been great having somebody like that on the staff that I can trust. Uh, and he's a phenomenal recruiter. I think he's I think he's the best recruiter in the country. And we always have players on deck. Uh, if we lose somebody, it's he got somebody ready to go, and, and he he's just that good. But he's not just that good when it comes to recruiting, but his his ability to, to develop and maintain relationships is elite. And then, you know, when it comes to just the day-to-day, -day, bouncing stuff off, bouncing basketball, he's, he's our defensive coordinator as well. So he runs all the defensive drills in practice. Um, he's phenomenal. And, and um, people have, have, are really recognizing that now. You know, he was the D2 assistant coach of the year last year. And uh, I think the year before that, he was the Texas small college assistant coach of the year. And uh, so his – his work um, and what he's done here is definitely being recognized by others. And I, I think we have some young stars on the roster behind him. Jean Marie Wilson has been outstanding and, and it's definitely from year one to where she is right now. Um, she's grown leaps and bounds and she's going to be somebody that if, you know, Marquis Brown does leave that will probably slide into that associate coach role. Oh, Hey, that's big right there. And you're definitely right about coach Brown. He is what I would say is the backbone of, the program as far as the the family system that you guys have y'all have the hashtag otop one team one pride and i think he definitely exemplifies that and what you guys bring to the table as far as a staff and as a program what you guys do at uh, AM commerce right, it's um, man. like he, he not only is he a high level coach and an elite coach but that that's like my brother and, and that's you know you need that as much time as you're going to spend with that your coaching staff, you need somebody that is going to tell you when you're wrong, tell you when you're right, that's going to have your back through whatever. Uh, and so it, it's been, and we, we've we've really been able to have the success that we've had because we've had a high level of coaching, especially the last few years. Right. 
And that high level of coaching was on display last year with the last season's result. You guys are 28-3 and three on the season, came just short of winning the Lone Star Conference tournament, but got Lone Star Conference championship rings and did indeed win the conference due to the uh, due to the record you guys had during the season. But you guys didn't get to uh, put that on display in the NCAA Division II tournament. Uh, talk about how last season ended with COVID coming about right when you guys were on the road. You were literally on the way to the tournament if you did not just get there and you found out you had to turn around and come back and you don't get to play. And um, also talk about uh, your uh, Lone Star Conference Coach of the Year award that you got last year. Yeah, so so what was crazy is we had just practiced. We were in Lubbock. We had spent the night, and for whatever reason, our initial hotel that we were supposed to have got flooded, and we got put in some not great hotel, right? So we go to practice the next day, but when we come back, we're about to check out and go to a different hotel. We're not staying there no more. And right. We finish practice. We get back to the hotel. We load back up on the bus. We're changing hotels. And en route to the new hotel, I get a phone call like, hey, it's shut down. And so, I mean, we we were finished with our prep. We were about to go back to the hotel, eat, relax, get off our feet, and then get ready for the next day to get ready to play. And, um, you know, we just were already on the bus. We just kept going all the way back to summer. So, uh, it's it's a – it's – it's a very sour feeling because not only was that our, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, there's an elite eight team that AM Commerce has, and that's pretty much it. And, th- and that team had 28 wins. And so we're 28 and three at the time. And we feel really good about our run that we're about to make in the postseason. And to have that happen for our seniors, especially, and, and really everybody. I mean, we worked our tail off. We're 25 and 0. And then, you know, our All American Shania Wright gets hurt in that 25th game. We finished the regular season one and two and lost those two games by a total of four points. We should we should have been 28 no um in the regular season and and but we got her back for the conference tournament. We got back to the conference championship. We feel like we're starting to click again and had all the confidence in the world to go and win a national championship. And then you get that phone call and you hope that it's not canceled, you hope it's postponed. Um, you know, you hope something like what the NBA did, they they shut down for a little while. They started back up in a bubble situation. We'd already got to the point where it's the NCAA tournament. We're, you know, we were thinking that maybe we might get eight mini bubbles, but it never it didn't get a chance to happen. And uh, so I hate it for those seniors, but uh, I'm hoping that somehow, some way we can get this season going and finish the season. But the Coach of the Year Award, though, that's that's the product of, like I said, man, our, our coaching staff is incredible. Um, and we were super talented. That was that was by far the deepest team that I've had. We've had some talented players in our program, but we, oh, hadn't, had, we hadn't had talent like we had from the first player to the 15th player on our roster. Um, that I mean, we were so deep, we were playing 11 people on a regular basis, and um, we were wearing people out. And it didn't matter. We overcame injuries. We overcame little things throughout the year, sickness, whatever, because of our depth last year. And it makes you look like a lot better coach than you are when you got talent, man. When when um, the players actually listen and do and execute what you have put in, but not just that, man, how there's some things that were so uncoachable. Matto, our point guard, her heart, um, some of the individual defensive performances by Alexis Bryan and Alexis Jones, um, mm-hmm. natural two freshmen and, and Deani Robinson and, and Desiree Colonel that were naturally just gifted. Uh, as John Tack with Bill me for uh, two years prior and she's in her junior year, had a breakout year and we had a stud transfer from, from uh, Cal State Northridge and Juliana, 
we just had a lot of pieces that made what you do, what we did, look even better because of their work together and really their buying, how how well they played together, how well they gelled. Um, it was a perfect storm last year, and, and uh, I appreciate just you know my conference coaches recognizing the 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 steps that our program has taken and, and giving us that award because to me that's a that's a team award right there. Most definitely, man. And you were completely right about the depth of that team. I got to see it myself in person throughout the entire season and through that tournament, uh, which that championship uh, championship game of that tournament was a little rough uh, as far as the, the ending result, but it was a, it was a battle throughout the entire game. Um, and like well, you said, you guys felt good going into the, to the, uh, the regional tournament. And I was having a regular season game versus Lovey Christian, but, you know, the way we played them at home was, was definitely our best game, execution-wise, from start to finish. Love it, Christian. Was, oh, yeah. They still are because we didn't finish. They still are the, the defending national champions. And you have to be on point to beat Love it, Christian. I don't care where you're playing the game. Uh, but they shot they shot lights out. I mean, any mistake that we made, they capitalized. And I, I kind of felt like we were the same thing, like same type of team. Like, you, we're not going to make a whole lot of mistakes. So if we make a mistake, you got to capitalize. And they, they capitalized on any mistake we made. It was, it was a three. and um, But that's why we were looking forward to part three, right? Like, to have a chance to play Lubbock Christian for a third time, it would have been the regional final. Um, and it didn't happen. So, you know, we look forward to – it's not going to be the same team, but but battling with them again, man. Steve Gomez is an ex – he's I mean, top-notch coach, phenomenal coach, coach with Team USA on Absolutely. some of the lower-level teams. And, and uh, he's one of the best coaches out there, regardless of level. Most definitely. And, uh, guys, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back with Coach Jason Burton. we got a few more questions to ask him before he gets out of here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break real quick, and we will be right back, guys. And, guys, we are back with head coach Jason Burton of the Lion women's basketball team at Texas A&M University Commerce. Just got done talking about his staff talking about last season's result, which COVID stopped them from playing in the NCAA Division II regional tournament. They didn't get to push their way to a national championship, and things got halted. And we talked about his Lone Star Conference Championship, or Lone Star Conference Coach of the Year Award, excuse me. And uh, we still got a lot more to talk to, or talk to Jason about, so let's get right to it. You know, Jason and... Um, this is one of the this is one of the probably deeper questions that that you get asked because it's something that's important to you. It's what you do every day. Uh, what made you want to be a coach? Did you always want to be a coach coming up? Is it something that changed when you were a player in in college? Uh, what is it? What happened? No, I think like a lot of like a lot of student athletes that go to college and you don't know what you want to do. You're just like, man, I want to be around the game somehow, some way. And so I really thought that that uh, I wanted to be a physical therapist. Like, I thought I wanted to go to PT school and do this. And then I didn't, like, I'm just young and naive. I didn't know how much science you had to do. I'm not a science guy at all. So <laughs> uh, crazy part is, so I had a brother that's three years older than me that, you know, he's been a college coach for 18 years or something like that right now. But we started an AAU team after my freshman year of college. He just graduated college. We started an AAU team, and I do that every summer that I'm in college. And I'm just like, I love what I, I love doing this. Why not do this for a, a uh, career? And then Sam Walker, that the men's coach at the time at AM Commerce, I go work a camp for him going into my senior year. 
and he offers me the GA spot when I graduate. Hey, you know, if you want to come be a grad assistant for me, well, I'd love to have you. And so, you know, I kept I kept up with him all throughout my senior year of college. I did my little AAU thing after after my season, and one thing led to another. He had a coach leave, another coach left, and finally his wife was like, "You just need to hire Jason as the full time assistant coach." And mm-hmm. he blessed me with the opportunity to to be his assistant coach, and and that was it, man. And, and fell in love with it. Started, uh, you know, setting goals for myself to be a head coach by the age of thirty in college, and and uh, had my ups and downs. Went on to Texas State. Got my head coach at the time got fired, and then you think, okay, maybe it's never going to happen. I left and went to high school, and uh, one thing led to another, and I'm coaching women's basketball as a college head coach at age twenty eight, and so. Uh, I just, you know, I tell people all the time, man, you got to do what you love. If uh, And the money might not be there at first, but when you get good at what you do, when you become a leader at what you do, you can you can make money doing whatever you want to do. Uh, but that shouldn't right. be the driving force behind it. Uh, I want to do something that I love, that I want to feel like I wasn't going to work every day. Uh, and we put a lot of hours in, into this into this business, but uh, it fits our family and it it is something I love doing. I don't feel like I'm working when I'm talking to you at 6 o'clock on a Saturday night, like this is, this is stuff we, we enjoy. And I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a wife that understands she, she was a college basketball player herself in the Lone Star Conference. She played at Abilene Christian um, and she gets it and she's understanding she's flexible and, and she holds it down when I'm not here. Uh, but I think she loves it just as much. Like she was excited for us to have a scrimmage today and to get back in the gym. She told me when I got home, she's like, I, I forgot how much I miss being in the gym. So it's when you have somebody like that, that is, has your back, it makes this, this profession very easy, but that's how I, I I fell in love with it, man. I started out doing AAU, man. That was my hustle. That was my little side pocket money in college, and and uh, turned to a dream, turned to a reality, man. It's 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 been an awesome ride so far. And you said one thing led to another when it came to uh, finding this uh, women's basketball head coaching spot. It, did it ever matter to you which uh, which which side of the the ball you were coaching on, whether it be men's or women's, did it ever matter? I always thought it was going to be a men's coach for the longest, but, you know, Sam Walker, like I said, the old men's coach uh, who brought me into this business, that's my mentor. That's my guy, man. And, and we always stayed in touch. So I'd be at Texas state and the men, the women's program hadn't been doing well. Um, and I think the coach was there like three years by the time I got to Texas state. And so we would just start joking around like, Hey, you need to come back and be the head women's coach and let's do this together. And we joked about it for like three years. And uh, man, I was in Allen. So the conference tournament used to be in Allen, Texas. I was coaching, right. Maine, which is right next to Allen. And the SWA, Judy Sackville, she calls me over before the conference tournament game. And they're having like a, pre, a pre-game function at this little bar right next to the arena. And I go over there and I just find out the head coach had got let go that day. And so I happened to be in the right place at the right time. It was a new AD. And I, I met him that day, and then we had a conversation a week later, and it led to me being the head coach. And uh, I, I never thought I'd be coaching women, but I love it. I won't go back. I say that now. Hey. My son makes me <laughs> like 15 years from now, but but I don't have I have no plans on, on going back to the men's side. You might just do the little coaching on the side, coach some little dribblers or something I, while I'll it's coming that. up. I'll do that. Actually, I say that my wife will probably do that. <laughs> She's gonna a, stop you. Be like, you're coaching over here. I'm gonna coach fan. over here now. Yeah, she can have it. She's gonna put you as the fan in the stands. 
<laughs> but man, um, this is a new season, like we were talking about. This this is a new team. You have a completely, I say a completely different team. You brought some, there are people that are returning, but you have a lot of new faces as well. Uh, talk to me about this new group. What makes this team different than last year's team? Uh, what their potential is and what the result of the preseason game you had earlier today was like. Well, so, you know, this is, like you said, it's a different year. We've had, we've had COVID, we've had injuries, we've had discipline issues um, and nothing major, but just trying to get things straightened out. And so, you know, today we play without four key players. Um, I think we played, when you look at our team last year, we were, we were very much upperclassmen. Um, I didn't have to, I didn't have to coach a lot of the details, right? Um, it, it was very, I, mean, I had to tweak things here and there, but they, they knew what they were doing. Uh, we had a very uh, intelligent team last year. I think that was, was probably underrated about our team. And this year, we're, we're very young. I mean, you talk about a team that has 10 players that are either freshmen or sophomores. we got seven freshmen, three sophomores, six seniors, no um, and of our juniors, right, or of our seniors right now, three didn't play today. So we were extremely young on the floor today, and we had some other discipline issues that I, I had to keep key players out. And so, you know, for our, our first scrimmage, I, I thought we did some good things. I think we have some, some stars, some freshmen that are going to be very, very good, um, and they can play right away. And so when we get everybody together, I feel very good about our team, but you just don't know what this season is going to look like. You know, you, you go out in your first game and you, you may be missing two or three people because of isolation, COVID, whatever. You don't know. Right. The team won't start like we started. I mean, we hit the ground running last year and uh, didn't look back. I mean, our first conference game, we won by like 40 last year. So uh, this is a team that's going to take time. We're going to be a lot better in March than we are right now just because of our youth. But the more they get a chance to see themselves on film, the more they get a chance for us to look at film, correct it, go back and play again and have some trial and error, our youth is going to come along. And when that happens, I think we're going to be a special team. And, and you know, the good thing is with, with um, all these players have a chance to get another year of eligibility. So our seniors get a chance to come back one more year. And we got some talented seniors. If they decide to come back for an additional year, I think next year we're going to be back at a very, very high level. With the looming COVID situation and if – it happens again to season doesn't happen. Uh, what's the plan? Because it's going to kind of be a scramble situation. You don't know what's going to happen. You're preparing to play, preparing to have a season. What's that going to be like for you? You know, I, I think the biggest thing with this year, and we've, we've tried to emphasize that with, with what we're doing, um, is uh, trying to get the mentally, the mental health of our players is important. Uh, we've had some players that have been in isolation for 30 plus days this year. That's not a fun situation. And at some point, you know, other things take priority over basketball. And as much as we want to win games and cut down nets, that's, that's what we do. That's who we are. Uh, we want to get kids graduated. Uh, hopefully we can get them to come back and get master's degrees. But we want to make sure they're safe, man. And, and that's, that's tough, man. When you're in, a, you're in an apartment away from your family, by yourself, in isolation, like, to me, making sure that kid is okay is more important than anything else. And so whether we have a season or not, you know, we got a, a crisis in this country. We got people passing away in this and because of this deal. And it's this is something that we have to get right. And if that means that, you know, we, we can't play games, and that means we can't go get you. Nothing can happen worse than what happened at the end of the season last year, right? They were 28-3, and three and they took that away. 
and rightfully so, man. We 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 got to get something that's a worldwide pandemic under control. Um, so I, I think mentally we've we've already had to learn to adjust and be and be flexible. Um, it's just a we kind of got to be ready for whatever. And um, the great thing is that all these girls, these young ladies, know they have another year if they want it. And so it's going to be on them to make a decision. But we're going to have plenty of talent coming back. Either way, um, I think I have three right now that have told me that they're going to come back. And it's an impressive three. And, and I think the other three uh, are leaning towards yes, too. So uh, it's it's like a redshirt year for everybody. So we'll take it that way. We'll find ways to get better. We'll find ways to develop. We'll fine-tune our stuff. Uh, and then we'll come back next year if we can't do it this year. But most important thing, man, is just making sure that we leave this year whole, that everybody's okay, everybody's healthy, uh, everybody's on track to graduate. And um, we're finding ways to get better. One thing we did this year, we did a thing called Empower Hour. So every Friday, uh, we found uh, somebody to pour into our team. And we've had uh, overtime Chloe. We've had Ari Chambers, two people in the sports world that are big time. Um, we've had some people in the medical field. We've had police officers. We tried to talk. We brought police in to talk about, you know, some of the stuff that's going on, George Floyd, other things. And um, I, we wanted to add value to their lives. So we're going to find a way this year to add value to their lives one way or the other. Speaking of that Empower Hour, which I forgot that was something that I did want to bring up. Yeah, you said you had Overtime Chloe on and you had Ari Chambers, of course. What are, do you have anything in that Empower Hour with any of your other guests said to as during that? I missed the second half of that question. I missed the second half of that. Um, I was seeing if you had anything that still like rings in your head that was going on during the Empower Hours that they said that you just that is like playing on the loop in your head that you remember. I just man, you know those two specifically, um, Chloe and Ari. They just they're self-made. You know, like they 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 hustled to go get what they want, and that's what we try to preach to our young ladies is that man they. They can do whatever they want. We have some ta multi-talented young women, some that model. And I mean, Ajantak is, is, can go and be a model today, but she also can do hair. She's also fantastic when it comes to art and painting. And we have multiple girls, young ladies that are in that same mode. And we have people that can act and, and do different things. And, and what inspired me about those two is that they went out and they did it. And uh, they followed their dream. They went out, they were bold, they had bold conversations with people, uh, but they didn't sit back and wait for things to happen. They made it happen. They got out their comfort zone to make things happen for themselves. And they took a chance on themselves. They bet on themselves. And, and I think that's important and to do it while you're young. And, and the power of social media, the power of social media can be good and bad. And we had some discipline issues this year because of some, some things that they shouldn't have posted and, and we've handled that. But uh, those life lessons that we're able to to learn, man. I, I just social media can provide so many opportunities if you use it the right way. And they they talked about their brand, right, and, and how that is a brand for them. And and you are your own brand, especially on social media. And you have to be careful on how you how you pr present yourself. Um, but it's also a tool that you can you you're connected to pretty much anybody in the world too. And so those two were, were big time. I thought our conversation with the police officer, the U university police officer was, was great. Um, we just had fantastic, fantastic people pour into us. And that's, that's the thing, man, is, is I hope they learn that people, when you do good and, and you want to go and be better, you want to better yourself, people will help you out. I hope they saw that because there's a reason why these, all these great individuals want to come back and talk to our team because they didn't have to take time out of their day to do it. But 
um, when you're doing positive things and you and you want to go somewhere, people will help you along the way. And so um, I think everybody got something different from every conversation, but that's the little thing, man. If you can get one nugget from everybody that we bring in, then you, you know you're going to be a better person for it. I can definitely attest to the uh, the social media aspect of things. I first started doing Charlie Chitwood, our our play by play guy for Lions football, and he's the goat, man. It's definitely something good from Charlie to be about, and it took some time to to flip it over. I'm not gonna lie, but I've completely flipped it. I think you know I totally you know that networking has definitely got me. I am today. It's, it's how I met Ari. How I got the job with the next. It's how I've been here at Fansided since March. Honestly, wish I was in that Empower Hour so I got to hear. It. <laughs> it's it's crazy because I'm I'm like these are people, you know that I've I've followed on social media before they even talk to our team, and the power of networking, right? It's something you learn too, and because I didn't know those were friends of of Jane Marie, my assistant coach. They grew up together. Uh, or they cross paths in different ways and are friends. And so to see her network a little bit, I'm like, I didn't know that you were connected to these people and the other people that she's connected with. And then I have a friend that's an Olympic athlete. So she came and talked to our team. She's an Olympic. She she ran, I say ran track. She was a jumper at Stanford, had the U.S. triple jump record. Her name is Erica McLean. She went on and she was in the Beijing Olympics. You know, she's got pictures with Kobe, LeBron, with President Bush at the time, she's got all, and, and so, and now she works at, at for Google, right? And so she's done all this work for Facebook, work for Google, has an undergraduate degree from Stanford and a master's from Cal, MBA from Cal. And so I thought I, for us, it was important for our young women to see other women that are doing big things and, and you know, relatively young women too. Because I think when you can see it and you can visualize, you know, people that look like you, doing big things then then maybe you're like okay i can do the same thing and so that was important for us um but that social media piece yeah and you're talking about charlie chitwood man he that's that's the guy right there charlie's my guy man and and uh i listen i've got a lot a lot of life lessons that i've learned from him myself so listen when he, when he speaks you got to listen what advice do you have not only for uh, future athletes college athletes and future potential coaches yeah so there's there's I got I, I got a few if if especially if you're trying to get into coaching. There's so many resources out there, um, and there's two big things that I've been connected with. Um, if you're a woman that wants to be a coach, they have a deal with the WBCA, so that's the Women's Basketball Coaches Association called. So you want to be a coach, apply to try to get into that because it's there are people that go to that. There are college coaches that go to that because they already have find you know they've already picked out 40 candidates that are really good, and they go to that to hire people out of that right away. Also, the NCA puts on a thing called um, the Career in Sports Forum. So I've had a chance to speak at that for, for four years. And they bring over 200 student athletes of any sport from across the country, D1 through D3 and NAIA. And they bring them to Indi Indianapolis to NCAA headquarters. And they bring you, they, they take you through a three-day kind of just, man, throw everything at you. And it's another way to get in the door with some key people. Uh, and um, it's all about getting yourself out there too. It's all about relationships. And so if you, if you think you want to coach one, I would dabble with the AAU too, or coaching, get some form of coaching, um, but start building your network and get on that other side. But once you get into it, I think this is important. People get into it and they get out because 
they're not making money or they're not good at what they do and they don't learn the business. And I was, I was that self, I was, I was naive early on in my career thinking I was ready to be a head coach when I wasn't. I would tell any young, any young person to chase responsibility, don't chase money. When you chase responsibility and you learn to, to do your job and do multiple jobs at a high level, you become valuable. Um, and when you're valuable, you can get a job. And I would say this too, when it comes to, to coaching, especially the, these younger coaches, right? The up and coming ones, learn how to do graphics. Everybody, every coach in the country, that's how you do social media, right? The power of social media. If you can get good at video editing, if you can get good at graphics, you can be on somebody's staff on just those two things alone because it cuts out the middleman of having to go to a SID or somebody else to get your graphics done. And when you can do it in-house in on your staff, then you have a, you have a skill that is 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 wanted and then and, and needed. Um, but no job should be too too small for you. Do the laundry, do uh, you know, do the floors, do whatever a coach wants you to do. But I would chase responsibility, and and that's how you gain trust with a coach. But that's that's how you learn the business, man. Learn the bit the business inside and out, not just what you think are the glorious things, not just the on the floor coaching, not just the recruiting, but everything else. You got to know academics. You got to know uh, not just your players' academics, but recruiting academics. Like, what does it take to be a qualifier? All that. Um, learn how to do the scheduling. Learn how to do the budget. Learn how to have relationships with people on campus. Um, all those things are important when it comes to being a college coach and, and high school coach. You got to learn how to teach. You got to know your 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 subject matter for whatever you're teaching because you got to be a good teacher too. So uh, just chase responsibility. Uh, the only thing that drew me away from coaching, I thought I'd have to work my way up and do it in high school or something first. I didn't want to be a <laughs> I did high school for one year. It wasn't for me. I was I was I was the uh, I was the ISS teacher in the morning. I, I wasn't for me. I, you know what? I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't even think they were the best. Those those kids figured it out. Like I don't want to sit in this class. If I go to ISS. I can sit in the ISS, I can do my work, and then I can chill and go home. And <laughs> I think it was full of, it was a room full of kids that didn't want to be bothered or the teachers didn't want to bother teaching that kid. And and that's that's the unfortunate part that you see is you saw the same kids over and over and clearly there was something else going on. But certain teachers didn't want to want to teach those kids and, and that's unfortunate. So um, but I'd rather be in college. I'm not a I'm not a do the same routine every day type of guy. I need I need different things thrown at me um, and, and being able to be a little bit more flexible with my day-to-day. -day. Guys, this has been head coach Jason Burton of the Lion women's basketball team on Twitter at Coach J Burton. Give him a follow and go show some love to the Lion. And I, I missed that last part. Uh, the Lion women's basketball team's at is LionWBB. Yes, on Twitter. It's at, at Lion. I think it's at Lion underscore WBB. Um, and then Instagram is at T-A-M-U-C-W-B-B. Um, so. Y'all go check that team out. Hey, that this is this is my alma mater. Y'all go check them out. Make sure y'all support the Lions. Appreciate it, man. Hey, keep doing big things, man. Proud of you. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Lowdown Sports Show. 
We just finished talking with Jason Burton of the Lion women's basketball team at Texas A&M University Commerce, and now we are here with our second guest. He is a Forbes contributor, and he is the editorial resident at 1.37 p.m., Mr. Landon Buford. What's going on? How are you? Good, bro. Well, what we're going to get into first with you, Landon, my brother, is, you know, we just talked about the last time we saw each other. It was at a WNBA game. I want to talk to you about your experience with the WNBA, the players you've talked to, and uh, what what it's been like for you. Because I know you're mainly NBA. You do a lot of NBA stuff, but you've been delving into WNBA as of late. Talk about what that experience has been like and what the difference is, if there is one, between NBA and WNBA. Well, as far as the media standpoint of it, for between the two, there's a lot less media at a WNBA game, and that's not, you know, we need to obviously improve that because the women's game is as much as exciting as the men's game is. Um, when people actually, players such as, you know, LeBron James Westbrook, the late Kobe Bryant actually come in and actually talk to these ladies um, and w bring their daughters and children to watch these games, uh, it's not a joke. Like, they, they are entrenched they enjoy it um like i said before the women's game is uh as exciting as the men's is i mean obviously there's no dunk i mean there are there is some dunking but it's not as much as you would see with the alley-oops and things of that nature but it's more technical you know more um technically sound the women's game is um i enjoy it basketball is basketball to me um I agree, man. Uh, the main thing that I noticed is compared to, you know, the women's game compared to the men's game is the women are far more fundamental. They they have the fundamentals nailed down to a T. And, you know, since they're not dunking and throwing alley-oops and things like that, they've got, they've got everything down pat. You know, their pivots, their fakes, everything in between you, they've got every bit of fundamental aspect down. And that's, if you want to, if you want an example of that fundamental aspect, then you go to see the women. Um, and, you know, your experience interviewing uh, WNBA players, when you're, when you're in those settings, and, um, like, I actually, you know, not too long ago during the summer, during the WNBA season, used one of your quotes in one of my stories talking about, uh, it was one of the Seattle players talking about, I believe it was Arike. It was, and, yes, uh, it was Sue Bird and um, uh, Sammy Wilcom. Uh, we're talking about Enrique and how they she reminded right. her uh, them of uh, 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 Cappy Pondexter. Right, and for those for those interviews that you do, what are those interviews like? And uh, are they different type of? Well, obviously people are different personalities, but those interviews compared to the interview interviews you do on a regular basis, what are those interviews like for you? I think and the women was go, there a difference? I think women go more in depth. With it, because they're they're excited to talk to the media. Not to say that the men aren't, but I mean, obviously, the women need the media more to sell the game than the men do, and they understand that with you know all the causes that they're in, and you know um, uh, the way that they take the time to actually talk to reporters. For the most part, um, I won't name any names on your podcast, but um, there there are though some that don't like to talk to the media, but for the most part. On the women's side, um, I haven't had a problem with getting quotes that I needed from um, from from the w women that I needed. Um, the men, it's hit and miss because you know what, what do you got? I mean, you've been in the locker room with me, where we have like what 30, 40 reporters 
surrounding right. Luka Doncic uh, or uh, or KP or whoever it is. It's even more than LeBron's in town or AD or right. what have you. So you might not even get a question off. Right, more than likely won't. You more, I mean, you, your best time to get a quote from some of those guys is to possibly go during a shoot-around, and that's if they're right. talking that day. Right. You know, it's, it's a mixed bag with player with, with an NBA player and their shoot-around. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's different. Sometimes a player is uh, sometimes a player is willing to talk. Sometimes they're just trying to shoot. They don't want to talk to you at all. Sometimes you might even get in trouble trying to talk to a player who's shooting who would normally talk to you, but he doesn't want to talk that day. Right. You know, I've I actually had that experience one time. Uh, I had to leave the floor because I was talking to I was talking to Devin Harris, mm-hmm. uh, and I was previously talking to Sala. And he was being different that day. He had missed a shot, and he had—I guess—he he had like bet me that he was gonna, you know, make the shot, and he didn't. And he was like salty about it, so he told one of the coaches, and I had to leave the floor that day. And I was like, "What? What's going on?" Oh wow! Okay. And you know, yeah, that was that was a, that was a weird day. Um, but you know, it it definitely is a disparity as far as you know talking to them versus talking to NBA players. Um, but another question I wanted to ask you, and we're still on the topic of WNBA, what have you learned in your experiences covering the WNBA, um, and where do you think the game is headed? I think the game is headed upwards. I know they had the, the biggest audience that they had in, uh, I think, league history due to the bubble. I know people were making jokes around the fact that, you know, they, they said that W should be in a bubble every year. Um, I'm not backing that, but I feel that other people should uh, should actually tune in and see what's going on with the W uh, more to help these women, you know, not only with their TV ratings and then also um, uh, just coming to games as far as ticket sales and stuff like that, too. Um, as far as what I've learned, um, I guess I've been able to um, improve my craft as an interviewer on the WNBA side, being able to talk to as many players as possible. Not to say that I'm not doing that on the NBA side, but uh, there's certain things that you can you could use as far as techniques that might not work in the in the NBA setting than right. an actual WNBA setting because of there's not that many reporters around. So, right. So you know, improving techniques, improving um, you know uh, line of questioning. Things of that, you know, things of that nature is what I've learned, um, and tried to use some of the techniques that I use on a NBA level to get stuff to possibly go viral, and bring that into a WNBA setting because there's not many people using that concept on the W side of things. Right, and and on the WNBA aspect of things, you know, the question disparity, like you were talking about, is is vastly different because we've both been to a Mavs game, we've both been to a Wings game. At the Wings game, you can get in at least two questions, maybe three in a Wings game with a crowd of maybe a dozen people around the, mm-hmm. around the coach or the player. But at, at, a, at a Mavs game, if you get if you get two, you are blessed. But mm-hmm. it's not very likely because the possibility of you getting one is slim enough. Right. Uh, so when it comes to um, when it comes to the media aspect of NBA versus WNBA, I think you grow more as a reporter and a writer. Uh, on the WNBA side, because you get you get that experience talking to players. You can you can talk to players one on one. Even you don't have to worry about so many crowds of people coming up, to, uh, taking your questions. You know, sometimes 
uh, in the WNBA. If you, if you want to ask a question first, I mean, some people are some people are timid to go ahead and ask that question first. If you mm-hmm. if you're at a game with Dorothy, you better go ahead and ask as quick as you can because she's gonna try. She's gonna be more than likely first. Yeah. Or if I'm there, I'm probably gonna be first to get my stuff out there and make sure y'all don't ask my question. But it gives you a lot more experience because you get to ask your own stuff. You get to practice. And that time that you get to go to that NBA game and you finally get to ask your question that hasn't been taken already, mm-hmm. you're ready for it for the most part. Unless you're a little bit nervous because you know you've been a fan of the NBA your whole life. And mm-hmm. then let's pretend it's a couple of years ago and you're talking to Dirk. You know, it might be a little hard to get that question out, but you still get it out for the most part. And you're used to that questioning by now. And I know people oh. from like small, smaller platforms are, are I wouldn't say afraid to ask the questions, but if they ask a certain question, we know that um, other publications, representatives will take it, use it as their own, their platform is bigger, and they're, they get immediately credited for said question, and they had nothing to do with it other than to tweet it out or transcribe it in some cases. Absolutely. I've actually I've had that happen to me in some case. Somebody somebody takes something that I've asked. I've even had a story almost completely duplicated. And it's oh, the yeah. same same type of same type of thing. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. You saw this. Why did you go ahead and decide to write it? I don't know. But you know, you definitely get more experience and you get your you get your feet wet in the WNBA side for sure. And it's 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 been fun. Um I wanna ask you and you know you've been how long have you been covering sports? Four years solid now. Four years solid. solid. Yeah. How did you get into covering sports, and what made you want to do it? So I've always been a sports fan. I knew I wasn't going to the league. I knew I wasn't going to be in the NFL. I probably wasn't going to be in a front office in any type of capacity coming out of college. So um, the next thing was to go into the media side of things. Obviously, um, when I left school, I didn't have the uh, degree requirements to get into the program that I wanted. So I fi- figured that I went ahead and, you know, go ahead and get my degree and we can figure it out later, right? So right. I ended up um, I ended up starting on the hip, uh, on the music side of things, became an editor at uh, a publication, um, used their credentials for forever on the me- music side of things. And then reached out to uh, the former Mav, head of Mavs uh, PR, Sarah, uh, I think Middleton, I think is her last name. I forget off the top of my head. Um, and then, you know, uh, once I relocated here, asked, you know, to t- cover some Mav games. Of course, I got the we've never, you know, it, um, uh, approved your publication. Um, you know, my counter was nobody from the publications has ever attempted to try to contact you guys in the first place. Um, at that particular time, I already had an interview with Damon John and a couple other people. So I thought that could possibly get me in. Um, of course I got the cold shoulder at the beginning, you know, you, you know, it, it's, that's normal. Right. Uh, and I, right. but I kept bugging her. Absolutely. I sat down and actually figured out which games did I feel like there wouldn't be any media, um, at, um, right. because that's, that's a key too. You're not going to, you know, first timers are not going to come into the Lakers game unless you're working with the publication that has credentials already. Um, You're not going to come to a Boston game, um, Miami, what what have you. Um, So you have to start picking at stuff like the Suns, Bulls, Charlotte Hornets. Um, I actually got into a Knicks game, but I didn't think I was going to get into that that particular game. 
that day. Right. Um, but, you know, team, teams of that nature where you know that there's not going to be much media following that said team. So it just happened to be uh, Derek Harper's retirement, Jersey retirement night. So my first my first thing was I had to make an impression uh, a good impression. So I actually asked him a question that made it on um, uh, Fox Sports uh, Southwest, um, and uh, basically got Sarah's attention. Met her, and then a couple da- games after that, uh, she gave me a season pass. Hey, so are you? Uh, I can. You can go back and forth. I mean, it's not the traditional way to get in, but um, I made it work. No, no. I mean, that's definitely what you got to do sometimes. When I started covering sports and I wanted to first come to a Wings game, you know, obviously the Wings, um, they're looking for people. They they want as many many media members as they can get. They're Mm -hmm. trying to grow, you know what I'm saying? So when when it comes to it, like the the station that I was working at, I was working at a radio station, KETR, uh, eighty-eight nine in uh, Commerce, Texas, mm-hmm. where uh, where I went to college. So, and they hadn't done anything besides the most basic of coverage at their own, at our own school. Mm-hmm. So they didn't get to. Uh, they never had people go out to to things like that and go to you know wings games. They didn't even know about the wings until I brought it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it was it was a first for them credentialing me and letting me get in there. Uh, which that's an easier get into the door because it was WNBA and they're trying right. to get people to come. Right. And when it came to Mavs, it was a lot more complicated. I had been denied before. Mm-hmm. And even this year, like it took me a while to get on the media list, oddly mm-hmm. enough. But, you know, I, could, I couldn't get into the Zoom calls. They said they had too many people already doing it, you know, specific outlets already mm-hmm. set up and things like that. But as far as getting to a game, like you said, you got to go to the the less covered games, you know, like mm-hmm. the Hornets and things like that. I think the first game that I went to, and I was with D210 Sports at the time, but mm-hmm. definitely not with them anymore. Um, I think it was a Grizzlies game, and I don't think Luca was playing one of those games. I went to two mm-hmm. Grizzlies games that year. Uh, that was the that was the times when I met you, and uh, Luca wasn't playing one of them. So definitely mm-hmm. they were trying to get people in there because right. you know uh, somebody was nobody... nowhere near. Yeah, exactly. Not, no, nowhere near as many people. Yeah, right. It was like the locker room was substantially different, you know, coming in, um, you know, where where a game when when Dirk was still playing, he actually got to play a little bit, and versus you know that game when Luca wasn't playing, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was there, everybody wanted to surround Dirk, you know, Luca wasn't there, you know, Dirk was still there. But it wasn't as big of a crowd because both stars didn't get the action, so Luca wasn't in the locker room answering anything. So mm-hmm. it was it wasn't as crowded without Luca there. And whereas with when it was Dirk and Luca getting to play that day, then they were there. But you know the disparity is it's 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 insanely different when it comes to to things like that. You want to go to those games. I think the other one that I was at, I want to say it was a. A Cavs game, mm-hmm. too. So, so nobody's coming to really watch the Cavs. Exactly. Even if we're not even playoff bound, they don't want to watch the Cavs. They're not good without LeBron. You don't want to watch that. The, the, so, yeah. Go I ahead. was going to say the funny. The funny part about it for me, both of my entries to the W and the NBA were retirement jersey ceremony games. My first one was in Seattle with the Storm, um, Warren Jackson's retirement jersey in fifteen. Um, they, flew her back. they flew her back from Australia, retired her jersey. Um, that was my first entry introduction to the WNBA. Nice. So, I mean, but I guess my first interview 
was interviewing her in a big old crowd. So I was like, oh, this is how it goes. So, wow, that's a good way to start out in the W. That's one of the that's one of the at least top five people in goat conversation right there in the W. Man, that's a whew, you can't do any better than that. I, I was there, man. I can't even remember. It was just, I think. I didn't go to the preseason game because I started covering Wings in 2018, mm-hmm. and you know uh, Skyler was still there. Obvious that I was that mm. was the Skyler and Liz year. Uh, so whenever I was in there, it, it was just a regular game. I think it was the first game of the season. You know everything. Uh, you know it wasn't near as big as what you just did. You know Lauren Jackson, one of the best ones to come through. You know. Uh, so I mean that that's a crazy experience that you said that that was your first one and then you said uh, the Mavs was the Derek Harper the Derek uh, jersey retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was which epic. is ironic because he played with he played with the Knicks and he played with the Mavericks. So I guess it, it's ironic that you retire it when the Knicks are in town, right? So I mean I'm just not thinking about that. So I mean, right. Okay, guys, we're going to go to a quick ad break. We're going to come back here with Landon here in just a minute. We're going to finish out this hour talking to Landon, and we will be right back here on the Lowdown Sports Show. All right, guys, we are back again. We are here with Landon Buford. Guys, in the first segment, we talked about his experience at WNBA games, what he's learned about the WNBA and where the WNBA game is headed, Uh, his experiences when his first WNBA game, his first NBA game, and how he got into covering sports, what made him want to cover sports, what made him want to do what he does. And now we're going to get into our second part, of the interview with Landon here, segment number two. Landon, you've been doing a lot of work. You do a lot of work on both sides of the spectrum, whether it be WNBA or NBA. NBA is your main shtick. One thing I noticed that you do consistently is you talk to NBA legends. You talk to a lot of different NBA legends. Uh, Talk about your interviews with former NBA players, NBA legends, and the current ones uh, tell me about those experiences, and if are the old heads different from the crew that is in the league right now? Uh, yes, because some of the old heads don't want to do the interviews. It's <laughs> 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 hard to get a hold of some of these guys. You got to go through their people. You got to go through, you know, certain things that it requires to get, you know, their inter- you know, their, their individual. If it's a PR team or if it's a buddy of somebody that's just close to get them on the phone or to get, right. you know, things of that nature. If you're de- dealing with them directly, it could be a hassle. Um, not to say that dealing with the current players are not a hassle because, you know, you, depending on who they are, you might not have access to them at all. So, I mean, it just right. it just depends on who, who you're talking to. Right. Who, when, when you're talking about the legends that you've gotten to talk to in the NBA stars, who have been some of your favorite interviews? Um, Kevin Durant was one of my funnest interviews because I'm actually from Seattle. Obviously, the Sonics drafted him. Right. Um, I was able to ask him a question in regards to possible ownership of the Sonics. He said he would love to be able to do that. Um, 
I dropped the article four days before um, Nick uh, Nick Fidel did. Um, I sent it to Nick Fidel. Um, he'll deny this, but he um, basically took my line of questioning, went and asked Kevin Durant himself, and wow. he went viral off of the comment. So, I mean, he's been wow. covering the world for three, four years now and didn't come up with that question. I don't know how not, but yeah, that's probably one of my favorite ones. Um, I've talked to, um, I've got, re received the pop treatment, asking him, you know, did he see Becky replacing him after he retires? Whenever that ha happens to be, he said somebody has to, ha somebody's gonna have to replace me. So that's technically not a no, yes type of situation. Um, Typical pop. <laughs> I've interviewed Mark. I've had a couple, couple viral points after that D Rose asking him about D Rose, you know, return season a couple years ago. Um, him possibly, you know, uh, when the all-star game was in Charlotte, possibly having him, Michael and LeVar in the celebrity game. My, uh, mm. Mark said that if LeVar played, then he, you know, he, he would have to play possibly. Um, uh, so yeah. that went a little, that went viral a little bit. Um, um, I've, I've, uh, caused, you know, Tim Hardaway to be pissed off in the playoffs by questioning, asking, asking him about, you know, protecting players in regards to Luca and KP can't be the toughest people on your team. You know, when right. do you, when do you or yourself or, you know, somebody like a Dota. I heard that they Dota, had that one on Fox Sports Southwest. Yeah. And he got pissed, but I was just being honest. Cause I right. mean, it was a question that I knew that other media members wouldn't ask, but somebody should, you know, somebody had to ask it, right? So right. I figured right. that I ask it, you know, um, I didn't think he was going to take it that, you know, that drastically, but, you know, you don't know how people you were going to react to questions, but it needed to be asked. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I um, got to ask Derek about ownership um, mm -hmm. originally. I mean, since then, other people have asked that, and then it's, you know, taking a legs of its own, but I asked Mark about it originally. Um, Dirk originally said when I told him about it, you know, he, it was an honor that Mark would even think about it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of stories for days. So as far as the legends, um, asked Dr. J about, you know, um, you know, what he thought about Luca in regards to um, a replacement for Dirk. Um, pop, uh, not Pop, I'm sorry. They look the same kind of. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Rick Carlisle and uh, uh, said that basically he, he doesn't like the word replacement because it seems like it. You know, it's you know you're out with the old in with the new type of thing, which technically it right. is. But you know, he, he basically, if you ask him, Lucas his own man. I mean, right. You know, he doesn't care about stats. You know, that that right. spiel. So, um, yeah, yeah. Because you've seen you've seen various times when the Mavs lost. He, he didn't want to talk. He was just, he would blame himself about what happened and he just, he'd, he'd want to focus on what was upcoming. So, I mean, he, he never wanted to, to focus on the details or like, uh, why my teammate shot like this. He's just like, oh, you know, I played like shit today. Um, we got to do better and we need to win next time. And if he loses, um, he's, he's shooting after the game for two hours. So we got to wait for him to, to get uh, done shooting so we can interview him. And he might say maybe, what, three or four different words afterwards. And, right. then, and then it's over with. 
at that point. <laughs> it's like, I'm tired. I don't want to hardly say anything. He's a short answer anyway. Yeah. Like, even in the bubble situation, like, when you would see his, when I would see his quote sent to me in the email, because I didn't get to get in the Zooms, but when you see his quotes, like, you see a, you see a KP quote, and it's about a whole paragraph long. You see a, maybe a sentence sentence and a half from Luca. So he, he's just short, sweet to the point. He's like, hey, I want to win. Uh, this went wrong. We got to get better. We'll get better. Uh, we'll win the next time. It Stuff seems like. like he says more in Spanish than he does in English, which, I mean, which... It seems like it. Yeah. It's just some of them words, like, the whole sentence might take longer to say than it does in English. So yeah. But he definitely, uh, he's not the uh, the longest interview, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, while we're on the subject of uh, Rick Carlisle, um, what do you think him and the Mavs are going to do in the NBA draft? What are your draft predictions, overall draft predictions, not just Mavs? And what do the Mavs need? The Mavs obviously need a third star. I don't think they. I don't think they pick at 18th. I think that that's used to either in a trade of some sort. I go ahead. While you're on it, when yeah. you say they need a third star, is there a preferred position that that star needs to be coming from? Well, Porzingis is a four slash five. Luca's listed as a small four, but we know that he's a combo small fours in the. Uh, Point. Pri- primarily the ball handler for the Mavericks. Right. Um, the biggest issue is if Tim is going to opt in because the, if he opts in, he his his contract his, in his final year, which most likely he will, because you know he he's talked about how he loves Dallas and does not want to leave. Um, right. So his contract uh, will. Uh, determine how much money, obviously, the Mavericks are going to have to go towards free agents this year. Right. So, um, if that's the case, and I'm I'm Donnie, Donnie Nelson, GM of the Mavericks, I would, if he opts in, I'm trying to use that as a uh, a piece to fulfill salary cap requirements so I can get that off of my my books. Not to say that Tim is not a good player, but for that high of a price, right. New York did. New York. New York gave him a generous offer. The Knicks gave him a generous offer with that with that contract. Too much money. Yes. Yeah. So it, it was kind of like a Wesley a Wesley Matthews situation. Great player, great three and D player. Could you know could could shoot the three and he could guard. Only problem is injuries, right? Right. But. It was a when they traded for Brazingas, he was a, uh, a salary cap, uh, not only a dump but also a to match salaries in that trade. So it, to getting back to your question, I feel like there. I've heard Chris Paul, I've heard Giannis, I've heard uh, Victor Oladipo, I've heard uh, uh, Buddy Hield, who I put an article out that wants out of uh, Sacramento. I mean that's. That's no secret. Um, recently, I don't I think somebody... Giannis. I don't think Giannis is really realistic. Um, not. I don't know that we can afford Giannis, and I don't know if he's the right fit for what we got. I mean, like he can't be stopped. I mean, he's he's not a shooter. We have shooters, which I mean, we definitely don't necessarily don't need him to be. But I don't think he fits into the grand scheme of what we got. 
if, if he get he's he's kind of a he's a drive and kick. And we don't need him to kick as often. That's what Luca does. So right. we need a guy that can get his own basket. And I mean Giannis can get his own basket at the rim, but he can't get his own basket from anywhere on the court. And yes, and you know, it, preferred players for that position would probably be those last two that you listed. And one that I campaigned for pretty much immediately as the season was over was Victor Oladipo. Yes. Uh, he's a two-way player. You know, when he's healthy, he's excellent. Um, he, he can shoot the ball from, from anywhere. He can attack the rim. He's a good defender. Uh, you know, and uh, Buddy Heald would be a good addition, too. He's yeah. an excellent shooter from, from absolutely anywhere. You know, four-point range, if they want to call it that, from Curry range, whatever. And, you know... I mean, the only disparity is slightly his defense, but he's not a god-awful defender. I know defenders that are worse. Right. Uh, but but those two, I think the two-guard position is where we really need to get that third star at. You know, because, you know, Timmy, like, you know, we were talking about Timmy. Timmy is yeah. good. Timmy's better than he was on the Knicks, but Timmy is still Timmy. Timmy, to me, is a microwave-type player. If he's hot, he's hot. But if he thinks he's hot and he's really not, he's going he's gonna to mess you over. Like, in one of the games particularly, Go ahead. I was going to say, he reminds me of a JR, or early J.R. Smith in Denver. J.R. could be the second best scorer on the court, third best scorer on the court, even the best scorer if Melo's not playing injured, right? So, but he could also shoot your behind out of the gym, too. Like, he could shoot exactly. you in games, and he could shoot you out of games. Shoot you out of games, exactly. And that's what I hate about Timmy, because I literally watched him do that one game. One of the games in the bubble, in it was I think it was one of the playoff games, and uh, he had he had made back-to-back baskets. He was feeling himself. Then he came back. He missed the next three straight shots he took. Like, he just kept shooting. He didn't pass the ball. He just did some dribbling, shot again, or he ran down, pulled up, and just missed. And that was three straight empty possessions, and that killed him. And that's, that, that is Timmy's defect that I just I don't like about him. Uh, other, otherwise, he's a, he's a good player, and he's not a bad piece. But when he does things like that, he gets J.R. Smithy. It doesn't help anybody at all. And another player that I've heard is uh, is Drew Holiday. Now I don't know how these Ooh. numbers to make it work. They're saying Chris Paul, but Chris Paul's got a fifty four million dollar contract next year. So I mean that's that's what's hurting Chris Paul's trade value right now. Is the it's the number that he's sitting on his for his contract. Any contender would love to have Chris Paul, but not every right. contender can pay that fifty four million dollar contract, and he's not going to opt out of that because. Guess what? That might be his last big contract right. in the NBA. And that, as far as for a single season, he might get that as a, you know, um, like a maybe a three or four more, you know, what is he, 35, 36 right now? So he might get right. one more contract, and it's a wrap for Chris. You know what I'm saying? Right. So as for a business person, I'm not going to opt out of that contract, even if it is for a championship. Right. And especially, you know, Chris coming off that year that he did, you know, the Thunder were completely counted out and brought him to the playoffs. Should have won that round against the Rockets, but they didn't. But you you saw that Chris Paul, he still got some of the tanks. So, you know, for the most part, when people see that contract that he's got, they, they're like, eh, but when you look at last year and what he did last year, what he did in the playoffs, you're like, okay, maybe this is worth it, at least for this one year. Especially a content. I think a lot of people would be interested in signing Chris Paul at that Number if it was a three year deal, right? Because then it's yeah. not a, affecting your cap right away. And besides, right. the Lakers need all the cap. The cap. I mean, uh, I know we're talking math, but I know the Lakers specifically need um, 
cap release because they're still paying Lou Aldane right now. Oof. That's so crazy to me. He didn't he wouldn't do he did about little to nothing for the Lakers and he's still getting cashed out. Man. But you know, Chris Paul, Chris Paul would be Chris Paul would be nice for the Mavs, but he'd take the ball out of Luca's hands a lot. So I don't know how I feel about that completely. Because I still they're like Luca being the primary ball handler. And if you're gonna do that, why did you trade Dennis Smith Jr. in the first place? Because exactly. the ball, they ball in the hand, right? That's that's you need somebody like a Drew Holiday that doesn't need the ball, but he's gonna guard your best play, the other team's best player. That's right. what frees up. That's what frees up Steph Curry to do what he needs to do. Without Clay, right. I I mean, I guess I'll probably say that Steph will be supposed exposed on defense. Without Clay, right. he's not being freed up to shoot all those you know um, uncontested threes from half right. court. You know, those those three guards that we were talking about, those are exactly, you know, what would fit the Mavs. You know, those those are exactly where they're looking for. You know, people that don't need the ball but can do their thing when they have the ball and can handle their own defensively. That's exactly, to me, that's exactly what the Mavericks need. Um, you know, Landon, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, again, this is Landon Buford from Forbes. He's a contributor at Forbes and he is an editorial resident at the 1.37 p.m. Make sure you guys follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Buford on Twitter. And that's your, that's the same ad on Instagram, right? Oh, so gonna, yeah. Yeah, yes, at, Landon Buford, at Landon Buford on both Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you guys check him out. Follow him. Check out his website, LandonBuford.com. He puts all his content on there. and Make sure you guys check him out. Good WNBA and NBA reporter. Great guy. Landon, thanks so much for coming on, my brother. Appreciate you. No problem, my man. Hey, and guys, we're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to a quick ad break. Then we're gonna run into our next guest, Mr. Kevin Gray Jr. And we will be back in a minute here on the Lowdown. All right, guys, we are back here on the Lowdown Sports Show. We just got done talking to Landon Buford. We talked all things WNBA, NBA, why he got started covering sports, and where the WNBA is going. And now we're here with our latest guest, Mr. Kevin Gray Jr. He is an on-air radio talent for 105.3 The Fan, and he is the host of the Gray Area Podcast. Mr. Kevin Gray Jr., how you doing, man? What's going on, man? How are you? Appreciate you having me on. No problem, brother. We're doing good over here. We're just trying to, just doing our thing, talking to all the best people in the world. <laughs> well, I'm glad you consider me part of that, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, the first thing I want to get to with you, man, I know you are on the radio right now in Dallas. Not specifically right now, but you right. do work there. And you work at one of the main stations in Dallas that got... They got 103.3, and they also got The Fan, and you are at The Fan. Tell me how you got into radio in the first place. How did you get here? Yeah, so it's kind of a crazy story. So I had started my own uh, podcast back in October of 2014, 
And uh, my best friend and I, we, yeah, my best friend and I, we were kind of just sitting on the couch at the time, you know, just chopping it up about sports and different, you know, different topics and whatnot. And I was like, we should do this like as a podcast or something. He was like, all right, cool. So we started our own podcast back in um, 2014 called Clutch Talk Sports Radio and um, did that for a few years on um, different platforms like Live 365, um, many different you know platforms um, right. that we used and just kept doing it, you know, created a Twitter, Facebook, those kinds of things, just started trying to grow it as much as we could. We were just having as much fun as we could. Um, and then, you know, I started kind of gaining a little bit of momentum as far as, as the show was concerned and the podcast was concerned. And um, I wound up eventually getting picked up by an independent sports network called uh, Sports Radio America. They're based out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and they do mm -hmm. uh, independent sports coverage, um, journalism, radio shows. But I did a sports Internet radio show for them. Uh, and I did that back in November of 2017. So got that uh, with them in November of 2017. And then um, in the midst of me doing that show, I had a chance to go to, you know, different places and cover different events and those kinds of things. And um, mm -hmm. in June of 2019, so almost two years later, 105 through the van had this contest called the uh, fan phenom contest. So I um, went to a couple of tryouts at the fan phenom contest wound up coming up in second place to uh, the eventual winner. Um, and then I kept in contact with the uh, program director at 105 through the fan and kept sending him, you know, my tape and sending him my stuff and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, right. would you love for you to take a listen to it, that kind of thing. And then um, in December of 2019, officially caught on with the with the fan and um, been there. It's been almost a full year now since I've been with them. So it was a lot of a lot of perseverance, a lot of hard work um, and, you know, catching a couple of breaks here and there and being in around the right people at the right time and just uh, really just not quitting. And um, I've enjoyed my time there, continue to enjoy my time there, doing a lot of different things with them. And uh, like I said, still the main thing, having as much fun as possible. So that's that's kind of the main, the way I kind of roundabout way of how I got to the fan. So. Right. And, you know, when you when you started this, you said you were just doing this with your friend, you know, is this something that was just, you know, kind of for fun to you? Or is this something in the back of your mind that you that you thought that one day you might do this? I never really had aspirations for doing radio. My friends and family always told me, said, you, you should go on the radio. You should do that and talk sports. And I was just like, I mean, I mean, I love sports, love talking about sports. And then, you know, as you know, doing the podcast was really more kind of a passion, you know, project just to, you know, be a creative outlet and that kind of thing. But as I started getting more and more into it, and starting having more and more success and folks other than my friends and family were telling me, Hey, you know, you should really look into to doing this. So I was like, well, you know, we'll see. And then as time went on and had some success with sports radio America, that's when the wheels really started turning. So really just a few years ago was when the wheels really started, you know, kind of cranking like, yeah, you can, can do this. And that's when I really started putting my, you know, 
full effort into getting into to sports radio. And, um, you know, fortunately, I was able to, to get there. And I worked, you know, hard then. I worked twice as hard now to keep what <laughs> what I believe I've earned. So it's one right. of those things that uh, that you it's always a constant work in progress, though. Right, man. You know, we actually almost have a similar path here because, you know, when I started, I, I wasn't, you know, talking, like just talking it, doing a podcast or anything. You know, that's what I like to do. I'd rather talk it than, you know, write mm-hmm. about it. But I couldn't find a way to, or I didn't have the the uh, the ability, or not the ability, but the uh, the things needed to set up a podcast at the time. Sure, so, sure. Um, you know, I found like, you know, minor little sports blogs, you know, uh, you know, Fans that cover the Mavs, you know, Mavs fans writing about Mavs or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of writing, you know, still. It definitely <laughs> wasn't at the time. You know, I, I hated writing stuff. I hated writing in school, but I was like, I guess, you know, if this gets me there, you know, I start start writing a little bit. It was was kind of kind of crappy at first, so I was, yeah. man, I wasn't like, I was still doing it, though. You know, I had people, you know, pumping me up, people in my corner about, you know, doing sports. So I kept, I kept doing it. And then eventually, I sent one of those stories to um, the college that I was going to. I wasn't I wasn't writing for the college, wasn't doing anything for the college, but I sent it to to the to the school news the school newspaper. Uh-huh. So I was like, I was like, okay, maybe they'll maybe something will come out of this. Then somebody sends me a response, and and they like what I had. They're like, hey, you want to you want to try this out? And I was like. Okay, I mean, I might want to. So I ended <laughs> yeah. up talking to the to the person at the radio station, and you know, you know, they might have a place for me. Didn't necessarily have it from the start, but they kept me kept me in mind, you know. Right, right. And you know, I, I found another way to do it. Eventually, that person that had responded to me from the newspaper uh, got me a way in, you know, to take photos for her for the articles that she was doing about the football team. So mm-hmm. that was my initial foot in the door there. So that's how I got it. I started taking pictures. I wasn't a photographer. I sure as hell yeah. a photographer. I mean, I know, you know, from playing sports in the past, I know what I know what I like to see. You know, what was a good mm-hmm. photo of me when I was playing basketball? I'd be like, maybe they like this photo on the field. Like, you just right. caught that ball? I mean, I'm probably taking a picture of that. You yeah. know, so that's where I started. And, you know, you know, it just it built from there. And then I started doing a little bit of basketball. And, you know, that little bit from me being a part of that sports atmosphere and, you know, mm-hmm. getting that foot in the door. And um, I don't even remember how I got a hold of the host of the of the student radio show at that radio station I used to work at, 88.9 KTR in Commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't remember. Uh, I think it was, no, it was social media. I found him on social media, and then he was like, hey, you want to come on my show on Tuesday, student show, and talk sports? I was like, yeah, uh, so yeah. <laughs> I get up there, talk to him, uh, and you know, do be on his sports show or be on the show for like, you know, a little over a month. This is the end of the school year, you know, so just yeah. just finishing out, finishing out like four to five weeks, you know, and then, you know, he's graduating, so they need another person to fill his spot. And the guy, the boss man over that show, you know, heard me over the past month or so. And was like, you got a voice for radio. Do you want to, do you want to take this spot? I said, well, yeah. So <laughs> I, I fall into it like that and get into radio and do radio for a couple of years. And then yeah. that opens the door for more writing because, you know, I mean, radio can only get me so much while I'm in college at least. And mm-hmm. so I had to do some other stuff, you know, write, you know, here and there. And then, I ended up going to that newspaper that I had DM'd like two years ago 
and yeah. you know, I end up being the editor and the sports editor after a while, after a, after a year or so with them, and the foot's in the door, do some networking, and here we are. I mean, and that's all that it takes. It takes that one foot in the door, and I, what I love about your story is that you weren't unwilling to try something new that you hadn't done before, and I think for a lot of us who are in this space, being able to do and be versatile in a lot of different mediums can create multiple avenues to ultimately get you to where you want to. And I've learned a lot about not only podcasting, but hosting and video editing and, you know, show editing, like all of these different things, but it all created multiple you know, platforms for me to be able to express myself the way that I needed to so that I could be even more valuable to whomever, you know, whether it's me working for myself or whomever I work for. And I think for you, it's the same way. That's that's an incredible story of how you use something that you weren't necessarily even good at or didn't even think that you would be doing. And next thing you know, you know, you're off to the races. So that's that's pretty incredible. Right. You know, nobody's nobody's path is perfect. So, but you, you've got to be able to find your own way. And once that's you do right. things, things will uh, things will work itself out if you just keep doing you. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you, you know, still on the topic of radio, talk about your experience at 105.3 The Fan. What is that like? Um, and, you know, what what goes on within the inner workings of 105.3 The Fan? Because I've been to 103.3. I've been on one of the – I've been in the studio at one of the shows, but I haven't been to The Fan yet. What's it like mm-hmm. at The Fan, and what's the atmosphere like around your uh, your coworkers and everything? Man, my experience has been fantastic. Um, the guys that I work with, I, I'm fortunate enough to work with a, a two-time Hall of Famer and Chris Arnold, who is an absolute legend in this business, has been doing this for over 40 years. Um, over 40 years, the individuals that I work with, from Will Chambers to Jeff Cavanaugh to all the guys at the station, you know, Sean Sharif, RJ Chaffee, they all have welcomed me in with open arms. And one of the things I've prided myself on is, you know, grinding and finding different ways to help make the fan even better as far as an experience is concerned. And we have a really good group of guys, man. All of our fan hosts are are unselfish. They're smart guys. They're entertaining guys. uh, And they find different ways to engage their audience. And, you know, we go about the business of obviously delivering sports information but doing so in the most entertaining way possible while connecting with our audience and engaging our audience in a way that allows them to feel part of the show and all of us have a different range of emotions and expression and information deliverance and how we you know give out information but it all works together from our morning show to our midday show with uh with kevin Corey, and mike bassick uh, to our drive time with Gavin, Jeff, and, and, and of course, um, Brian Broaddus, who, if you're a Cowboys fan, Brian Broaddus is, is a legendary name as far as being a Super Bowl winning scout. He's a wealth of knowledge, and it's just brought tremendous insight to everything that's been the Dallas Cowboys, and even to our nighttime show, uh, the Nosebleed Seats with uh, Eric Chiafalo and uh, Zach Walchuk, those guys. All these guys are passionate, they're driven, and they're smart. And we all want to contribute to make the fan better. And I think when you see each of us working together, that is the common goal and have. So, um, 
Oh, I think you still got me. Yeah. Um, you able to still hear me? Yeah, I still hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. It kind of went away for me. I'm not sure what happened. Um, but yeah, that's that's that, those are our guys, and we all work together to try and give the best product possible, and we have as much fun doing it. So yeah, our guys are goofy. They're funny. Um, they don't mind cracking a joke on you. Uh, but we all have a, a good time doing it. So, yeah, our guys at the fan are, are, are pretty good guys. All right, guys. This has been our first segment with Kevin Gray Jr. Guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with Kevin. We're going to ask some more questions before Kevin heads out of here. Make sure you all follow Kevin on social media, on Twitter, at Kevin Gray Sports. That's Kevin Gray Sports on Twitter. Make sure you all follow him. We'll be back in just a moment, and we're going to talk some more with Kevin. What's up, everybody? We are back here, back from our break. We are here with Kevin Gray Jr. at Kevin Gray Sports on Twitter. Make sure you guys go drop him a follow. Mr. Kevin, in the first segment, we talked with him about how he got into radio. We also talked about his entire experience at The Fan. So in this final segment, we're going to talk to him about some more things before he's before he heads out of here, and we're going to make sure it's quality before, you guys, before this is all said and done. But... Kevin, as we get into our last bit in segment number two, we want to get to some some important things, some that we're gonna we're gonna bounce back and forth on here. So, okay. brace yourself, buckle up. All right, all right. All right. In the uh, in our last guest appearance with Landon in the past, in the uh, in the previous hour, we talked a lot, or at least half the time, about WNBA. Um, have you watched the WNBA? And if you have, what did you like the most about the WNBA? I did. Uh, I thought the WNBA did a fantastic job down there in Bradenton, Florida, with the the bubble environment. Um, these women are spectacular. <laughs> I mean, just for example, period. You know, Bri- yeah, I mean, Brianna Stewart comes back from a torn Achilles and is still arguably the best player in the league, and she mm-hmm. proved that again. As of course, the Seattle Storm won another NBA championship. Sue Bird is ageless, timeless, and one of the greatest basketball players that we've ever seen. Um, and congratulations to her on winning another championship. But these women were steadfast. They were phenomenal. They were not afraid to continue to speak on the issues and messages that they felt were important to them, especially uh, with Brianna Taylor, and continue to demonstrate um, and honestly, be at the forefront of this. A lot of folks don't really realize, but the WNBA has been at the forefront of a lot when it comes to social justice uh, and reform and those kinds of, and those messages being sent out uh, when it comes right. to, to sports. Uh, and they did it again in, in Florida. But I thought what they did uh, in terms of some of the improvements with salary, uh, in terms of playing condition or working conditions for these women, uh, I think it's, it's a step in the right direction. But, no, these women are phenomenal, man. Uh, Candace Parker has always been one of my favorites of all time, uh, watching her play and continue to play. Uh, and, honestly, for the Dallas Wings, thinking about them, you know, they've got a really good situation going. I know they're a young team still, Satu Sabali still growing, uh, coming off of her rookie year. Um, but they've got some talent here that will continue to grow and, and flourish. But, yeah, the WNBA, man, they, they held it down and did so 
in a really really nice way down there in the bubble. Has the uh, has the fan ever had anybody you know on the say on the WNBA beat or had any interest in sending anyone to cover any of that stuff out in in Dallas or in Arlington I should say? Not that I'm fully aware of. We have had um, one of our producers, uh, Reginald Adatilla for the uh, KNC Masterpiece, has actually done several interviews with Dallas Wings basketball players. Uh, okay. Greg Bibb has been on the program on 105.3 The Fan before also. Um, so we've had a relationship with them and had several players you know, on there uh, in the past. So I don't know of any specific plans of those kinds of things of sending folks to, you know, WNBA games, but we have tried to, you know, honestly create a presence with them also because they're one of the professional sports teams here also, you know, much like the Cowboys and Mavericks, FC Dallas, the Dallas Wings, the Stars, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, getting them that exposure there too. So we've, we've done some different things with them for sure. Right, and when it when it comes to uh, to getting that exposure, and you know, you talked about bringing Greg Bibb on before. You know, uh, I don't know if you know, but at one hundred five or not one hundred five, one hundred three three ESPN, they've got this they've got this segment where I'm pretty sure weekly they bring on Rick Carlisle, mm -hmm. and they have an interview with him for a time. How or how interesting or should I say? Intriguing doesn't sound to bring something, some element like that to the fan with, you say, Greg Biv from the Wings, uh, at least during the summertime when, when they have an active season going. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a consideration for sure, I would think, as we continue to develop, you know, the relationships with the Wings and how that, that goes. Um, I'm sure that's something that has been thought about. I'm not sure to the specifics of it if it has been thought about. But I would not be surprised mm -hmm. if that has been a conversation or something that has been broached as an idea potentially in the past before. Right. I would have said the head coach, but he's not there right now. They don't have a head coach right now, but they're looking for one. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, I want to, you know, here we're switching gears again. Uh, I want to talk to you about your podcast. Uh, t tell us about your podcast. Uh, what made you want to start your very own? Because I remember when you put the poll up on Twitter, I was one of the people that voted for <laughs> the gray area, and okay. we got the gray area. So tell me about your podcast, um, your 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 favorite interviews going on. I know you most recently had John Machota on there, and uh, tell me about tell me about uh, what you like about it and, and how it all came together. Yeah, it's uh, an extension of, you know, of my brand with Kevin Gray Sports. Um, one thing that I really enjoy doing is interviewing um, sports personalities and athletes and uh, journalists and writers and really getting their stories. A lot of the times, um, you know, we talk to the athletes, you know, about the day to day, about the game, about how they executed, what they didn't do, what they didn't like, those kinds of things but really getting to the heart of who they are as people and the stories that they have, because a lot of these folks, you know, most of these folks have pretty incredible stories to tell and being able to talk to those who write those stories, who create those stories, who have that kind of conversation with those athletes and talking to some of those athletes themselves and having them tell their own stories. I think one of the things that has changed the media game in and of itself are things like, for example, like uninterrupted from what LeBron James has started, these athletes, are right. telling their, their own stories. So part of what I've wanted to do is to talk to the, the storytellers and creators 
um, and content individuals who are continuing to put out, you know, these stories. So that's what I've always enjoyed doing as a part of not just talking sports, but also um, discussing sports in a larger and broader context within culture, uh, you know, social, you know, political, all those kinds of things that sports kind of crosses into and having those real frank conversations with individuals. So uh, the Gray Area Podcast is an extension of, of my brand and how I want to discuss and talk about sports and culture and topics relating uh, to both of those and talking to individuals who share a lot of those conversations and also trying to give folks an idea of what it's like to talk to, you know, an insider, like you mentioned, talk with, you know, John Machota here recently of the, uh, of the athletic, you know, he does a tremendous job covering the Cowboys. Obviously that's central to what I do and whom I cover in the Cowboys. So bringing those conversations to folks in a different way, whether it be on YouTube or, you know, podcast form, that's what, what, what right. I'm looking to do. So that's kind of how, you know, got started and what I want to, to do with that. That almost kind of takes me back to my time in, in a newsroom, you know, where you're not just you're not just going for athletes. You know, you're going around the administration, you know, finding about uh, how they came to do what they do and, mm -hmm. and why they do what they do. Because, you know, some people do some interesting stuff. And, and, you know, as far as like, you know, I talked to I talked to one lady. She was from East Africa and she runs the. Uh, runs the uh, the study abroad program at Texas A&M University Commerce, and and just how she got there was just just fascinating. I was just yeah. I was just coming there to learn about how you get to go abroad, and and mm -hmm. and I leave learning about her story, you know. So, I mean, and you never know when you talk to media people, you you have people from from all over the place, you know. So, and you know, because I know I know various people. Like I even know one in in watching this right now that is from the uk and he does he does a sports show on twitch double clutch uk make sure y'all follow them um but you know you never know how people get into those situations like you found out how i got to where i am and you know people have different stories of how they're doing what they do you know yeah. uh, people have their own past not everything is typical some people have the standard path uh, I, I was straight a's in college i was on the dean's list uh, i graduated journalism and now i'm writing for so-and-so and it goes like that. And, you know, some people are like, you know, I failed. I had to take some time off. I came back. I, I was working for a time. I stumbled into this. I talked to this person. They let me do this. And I'm covering, you know, the Mavericks or something, you know, now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, you never know what you're going to run into when you're talking to people and trying to find out who they are, what they do, what they came, how they came to do what they do and why they do it it's it's such it's such a fascinating thing and you know it's it's fascinating as to how you came to do what you do i didn't know how you came into radio how you came into your gray area podcast and your coverage of the cowboys and whatnot being a 105.3 the fan and you, you you never know you never know what you're going to run to into and it's, yeah. it's so fascinating to me and i wish that more and more stories from media members were told because you know that everybody knows so many media members that you know their favorite media people that cover the cowboys or their favorite people that cover the mavs but they don't know how they got to do what they do they don't know mm -hmm. a whole bunch about them they just know how they write they've heard their voice before and they know they're good at what they do yeah but they yeah. don't know much about the inside story and that's the most interesting and fascinating part about people yeah everyone has a unique story of how they've come to be in this business. And, 
it's not a business that's for the faint of heart. And those folks who definitely not, it, definitely not. <laughs> you know, those who make it have a special ability to persevere and grind because you don't do this to uh, to make a bunch of money. You don't do this to to get a bunch of you know notoriety. You do it because it's it's honestly for the love of the game. <laughs> honestly, yep. in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, but that's what drives individuals to do this. And those stories are ones that I want to explore and have other folks be able to be, you know, inspired by. And that's part of, you know, what I want to do with the podcast and the, the content creations that I, you know, put out there. So. Exactly, man. And, and lastly, I want to talk to you. We're shifting gears again. Skirt. Sure. We're shifting yeah. gears and moving over, we're going to the NBA side of things, and and you know this is coming up relatively soon. Actually, it's in the middle of next week. In fact, the NBA draft coming up. You know, it's not at the standard time that we're used to. You know, we're used to <laughs> when you were used to being like eight to ten games into the season by an hour. You know, at least a handful. But you know, here we're having the draft in mid-November, and. We don't know what's going to happen. We're lucky that we get to start the season before Christmas and get Christmas games. But Exactly. That's a fact. God, we're getting Christmas <laughs> games. Because what was I going to do on Christmas after an open presence in eight? Right. Besides watch basketball. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have felt like me if I didn't get to watch basketball <laughs> on Christmas. But I wanted to ask you about the NBA draft. You know, what, what predictions do you have as far as, you know, uh, you know, sudden changes, you know, people have been talking about, you know, LaMelo Ball has, you know, he's a top two prospect, but I've seen him more float to the number one spot. Uh, you know, the uh, Anthony Edwards has been projected, you know, top three, but he's starting to float down a little bit more closer to three. And uh, I think it was Wiseman has floated more to two to go to the Warriors. What are your predictions for the draft? Any dramatic changes, you know, trades that you think are going to go down? And what do you think the Dallas Mavericks need to win a championship? Yeah, so I think this will be a pretty unpredictable draft, honestly, because, you know, there's been conversations about the Minnesota Timberwolves maybe moving out of the number one pick where, you know, consensus is that, you know, LaMelo Ball will go, you know, number one overall. Where does James Wiseman potentially go? Uh, Anthony Edwards, you've got, You've got a lot of guys that I think in the top 10, you've had a lot of names, right? But once you get past 10 and out of the early lottery into the late lottery and into the later part of the first round, you've got a lot of guys that are pretty similar in terms of draft grades and those kinds of things. So I think LaMelo Ball still does go number one, um, you know, especially if he's going to be the kind of point guard that, you know, honestly, a lot of folks are projecting that he could potentially be the best ball out of all of them, which is, you know, oh, yeah. to think, you I know, think so as well. You, you know, potentially, you know, pretty incredible to think about because Lonzo Ball's turned into a decent player in the NBA. Yes. But Lamelo seems like he's got, you know, the talent and at least the wherewithal to even be better um, than his brother. But, you know, for the, the Mavs themselves, you know, one of the things that, we learned about them this playoff season was this team had the best offensive efficiency in NBA history. You know, obviously one of the best offensive teams, the best offensive team of all time uh, in terms of offensive efficiency. But at the same time, they were still missing a little bit of dog in them, if you will. Now, one of the things yes. that, you know, we 
come to learn about the Mavericks is that, you know, Luka, Luka Doncic, you know, at 21 years of age, is a generational talent. Kristaps Porzingis, they call him a unicorn for a reason. The guy is seven feet tall. He shoots the ball from the three-point line and does some pretty incredible things on the offensive end and is a pretty darn good shot blocker on the defensive side of the basketball, too. And they've got a lot of role players between, you know, Tim Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith, Seth Curry, uh, Dwight Powell. You know, they've got a lot of secondary role players who have had to be forced to be and have bigger roles, you know, this year. You know, Tim Hardaway, a guy who has a player option, you know, for nearly $19 million, became one of the best catch and three, you know, catch and shoot guys from the three-point line in the NBA. Part of that was because Luka Doncic was a, was a facilitator, you know, because Tim Hardaway is not necessarily the most, you know, aggressive playmaker, if you will. He takes gets a lot of his offense right. from other guys, you know, around him. Same with Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, Dwight Powell, one of the best, um, you know, screen guys and one of the best guys who attacks the rim in all the NBA, you know, you know, a great rim runner. Um, but, but the Mavs need a little bit more perimeter defense. They need a legitimate three and D guy who can not only shoot the basketball, but also is a willing and able and capable defender um, because the way that they can score, they need to get out of transition a lot. And you can do that by playing much better defense. This is a team that was 18th in the NBA last year. Uh, in defensive ranking. So if they can get a perimeter defender, a guy who can also stretch the floor, an athletic wing who can do some different things in transition also, I think that'll help if they decide to stay at the 18th overall pick or if they decide to know to go find someone in a trade, you know, package the 18th or 31st pick to go get a guy uh, like a Zach Levine. I think he would be perfect in this offense um, and he would benefit from Rick Carlisle's flow offense and really be able to get out, not only in transition, but he can shoot. Uh, he's a capable defender. I would like to see him a little bit, a better, a little bit better defender, but he's a capable defender, uh, and, his, and his athleticism is off the charts. So, you know, that's the kind of Absolutely. guy. Yeah, if you're not going to use the 18th you know, pick to draft a guy like a Sadiq Bey or a – uh, a Desmond Bain or Aaron Neesmith out of out of Vanderbilt. That's who I could see them potentially trying to go after. There's been names like, you know, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, you know, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, I think, would be a perfect fit for the Mavs, too, because one of the other things I think they need is a veteran uh, point guard and playmaker to take some of that pressure off of Luka Doncic in terms of his usage rate. I mean, him and, only, him and James Harden were the two guys that had the highest usage rate in the NBA a season ago. So right. you, you saw how valuable Doncic was, but I think a veteran point guard and playmaker to take some of that pressure off of Luka Doncic is important too, um, to be able to give him the creativity and the space to be able to do some different things. Cause he's a great passer. He's a really good scorer, and he's also a terrific rebounder. So when you're right. using him in multiple ways, you got to get a way to take some of that pressure off of him. But I would love to see a little bit of toughness added maybe a Montrez Harrell type of player um, who can, you know, rebound the basketball, provide some toughness on the defensive end. But more than anything, a 3 and D, an athletic 3 and D, and willing defender, and a veteran point guard, I think the Dallas Mavericks could really use that to really propel them to, you know, championship-level status. See, Landon and I talked about this in, in, the, in the previous hour. We talked about 
exactly what the Mavs were looking for, you know, that third star. And you mentioned one of the names that we mentioned, Drew Holiday. I think he's got everything that you mentioned that you were looking for. He's 3 and D, that veteran presence, and he has that dog in him. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of other names that Landon and I mentioned were, and one that I've been campaigning for since I've seen he wanted out of his current situation, which is Victor Oladipo. And another one that Landon mentioned was Buddy Heald. He's not the best defender out of those three. He's a capable defender, like you said. But, you know, he's definitely that, that offense that you need, at least definitely from the three-point line, definitely from the three-point line, and, you know, pretty much shoot anywhere out, outside. He can get his own shot. Yeah. I think it's tough with You know, Oladipo. I think that's the position where we – go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think it's tough with Oladipo because, you know – the Pacers have what no other team can offer him, which, you know, is about $200 million when his contract right. expires at the end of the year. I mean, he can sign a, you know, a near $200 million deal there. He could sign a $145 million deal somewhere else uh, if he decides to, but he's come out and said, and you could take it with a grain of salt. You know, the guy has said that he's committed to winning a championship and being with the Pacers and doesn't necessarily you know, want to, to leave there. So I'm interested to see how they work out their relationship because at previous reports where he was unhappy there or he was being, you know, floating around the idea of wanting to be traded to play with other guys. Right, that's what I was hearing. Yeah. Um, but I think he ultimately, you know, remains in Indiana. I think he has a chance to reemerge as the kind of star and leader that they were looking to him to be when he was getting to his emergence there. Um, Buddy Hill is an interesting name because he can score. <laughs> he can definitely score. He can shoot, yeah. as you mentioned. Um, not as good of a defender as some of the other names that we may have, you know, mentioned. But at the same time, provides you, you know, instant offense. But I think for the Mavs to take that next leap, they're going to have to get a guy that's going to be an above-average defender, especially when you start thinking about the teams at the top of the Western Conference that they're going to be competing against. We're talking about the Lakers. We're talking about the Clippers, the Nuggets, uh, right. even the Utah Jazz to an extent uh, with Donovan Mitchell. You've got to find guys that can defend and can defend, you know, night in Absolutely. and night out. Um, so that's what I would like to see, you know, for them. But, yeah, I think those names like Drew Holiday for sure, I think he would be an instant, uh, an instant hit in Dallas for sure. And, and as far as some NBA draft predictions, do you have any surprise trades by anybody that wants to move up to make a certain pick because they uh, believe a certain player would fit? So let's, let's just say, you know, the Spurs are at pick number 11. Do you think the Spurs move one of their key pieces like DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge to move up to the top, you know, three or five in the draft to get somebody that is an impact now? Who? That's interesting because there's already reports about DeMar DeRozan being <laughs> talked about with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I think I think you could see some teams be fairly busy on draft night just because, you know, with free agency two days later, the opportunity to make some deals may be there. And as we mentioned, with the draft being fairly top heavy, you know, once you get past the late lottery, most of these guys are marginally different. So will teams right. be willing to make some deals 
and find some value in terms of some future picks, maybe move back in the draft to potentially get a guy who they may, may feel like could be a steal, you know, those kinds of things. So you may see some surprises draft night. The Russell Westbrook thing is still looming out there large. There may be a draft night deal for Russell Westbrook. You know, the Knicks, apparently it's talking about they all in on potentially getting Russell Westbrook, which I think is a horrible <laughs> mistake, but whatever. The Knicks, yeah. the Knicks are always in the conversation and seem like they don't get anybody of relevance, but whatever. Um, so <laughs> I think you could see some movement, especially if the, especially if the Timberwolves trade out of number one uh, and move back in the draft if they don't feel like taking LaMelo ball. But I still think they will. But you never know. You could see some activity on draft night for sure. That'll be interesting if the Timberwolves stay down pat because they they already they traded for D'Lo Russell, you know, so mm-hmm. he's holding down the point guard spot currently. And I don't think the mellow ball would be a good two guard. I think he's more of a one for sure because his passing ability is extraordinary. Uh, D'Lo might be able to slide to that too because he's been able to be a combo guard for a while. But yeah. I don't know if they want to do that though. And will that be enough to propel them into playoff contention? And if not, what kind of trades do they make to get out of the one spot and propel themselves um, to get, you know, a player from another team and where would they go? You know, so it's a really complicated situation when it comes to the draft, you know, because some players up at the top, you know, some like some players fit where the team would draft them at and some players really don't. So that's where the movement will come into play. And I think there's going to be a little bit more than we saw Last year, for sure, just because, you know, the only spot that really fits to me right now, just off the rip, is the Warriors with Wiseman. If if he goes number two, then that's then that's pretty much what they need. They need a big man that they can they can rely on, that's versatile, that is big and strong, and and he can hold his own. Um, but otherwise, it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. I think, uh, you know, I believe it's Obi Toppin that's predicted to go to the Hawks. That's kind of like. I don't know mm-hmm. if that mixes well there because, you know, they got DeAndre Hunter last year, same position, um, you know, and they're and they're they've got a young core already. Do they need another young piece like that? If they do, do they need it as the same position as the guy they got last year? I don't right. know. So I think there's going to be a bit of movement, which I really, I, I pray that there is because <laughs> I want to see it. I need some action. I need some drama. All Russell right. Westbrook in the Knicks would be chaos. But I love chaos. Bring chaos. <laughs> Knicks fans would cry all season and say tank for whoever is supposed to be first in the next draft. Right. But, you know, West, Russell Westbrook saying that he wants out was like, whoa, to me. But because, uh, you know, during the season, him and Harden were, I believe, the top scoring duo, top scoring uh, guard duo in the league. Mm-hmm. But when it came to playoffs, things did not go according to plan, you know. Um, especially with, you know, they probably should have finished the Thunder in six, but with Westbrook playing the way he did in the last, uh, in, in game six was what, what forced it to seven. So, um, it's really kind of a mixed bag when it comes to that. And, you know, if, you know, I think we were talking about Drew Holiday. Um, I don't remember what his contract is like, but I know, I know he's paid and recently got paid. Mm -hmm. So how much is he going to cost to get? And like, how can we afford him if we keep Tim Hardaway? Because he's going to opt in. He wants that money. So, yeah. uh, and why would we get rid of Curry? He was excellent last year. So we're going to have there's be a bunch of guards and that we don't know what to do with. Because Jalen Brunson will be coming back, and he'll be at the point 
Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, you know how the Mavs are. They like to keep people for a while, like JJ. <laughs> and we still JJ. He don't even play. We just like to keep people you like. But at some point, you gotta let players like JJ and some others go, so that you can usher in the new era and win a championship again. JJ is great as a person, but he doesn't he doesn't get used the way that he he used to get used. And there's no use to having like six or seven guards on the roster if you're only gonna play, you know, two or three of them consistently. Yeah. So uh, Mavs are in a weird situation as far as that contract goes. And if they can get a player, which they desperately need, like Drew Holiday, but if they do, that's considerably great. Uh, One last bit of thoughts I want to get from you before we head out. And we're going in the Spurs spectrum because I'm I'm actually doing Spurs coverage now. So I want to get your opinion on what we're going in the Spurs line of things. You know, uh, Tim Duncan just stepped down as assistant coach. And, you know, there have been talks about both of the stars in, in San Antonio being trade pieces or, or you know, uh, being shipped out. DeMar yeah. Rosen and LaMarcus Aldridge. If you pretend you are Spurs GM, what are you doing with what you have right here? What, what are you doing as far as DeRozan and Aldridge? Do you keep them both? Do you keep one? If you keep one, who are you shipping out? And what are you doing at pick number 11 in the draft? The Spurs are in a really interesting spot because they are, they're in the, okay. They're that team where they're not good enough, where they're competing for a championship, but they're right. not bad enough to where you'd be like, all right, let's just tear the whole thing down and start right. over. They're kind of in that middle, that purgatory. It's middle weird. Where you, yeah. yeah, you don't necessarily <laughs> – want to be so some real decisions have to be made on DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge and whether or not you go ahead and move those two to bring in you know assets to be able to kind of in a way remain competitive but also rebuild at the same time or reload at the same time um, so that you know Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan can go play for championship contenders while still getting younger pieces, draft picks, and assets that allow you to remain competitive in the future. And honestly, that would start with the 11th overall pick for the the Spurs. So they're in a really weird spot on how they will move forward. Not that R.C. Buford and, you know, that, you know, front office don't know what they're doing because they've been doing it for, you know, 25 years down there in San Antonio. But, um, right. They've got some real decisions to make on the direction of what they want to do. And a lot of that's tied to Greg Popovich. How long is he going to remain, you know, head coach of that basketball team too? Is someone like Becky Hammond waiting in the wings to take over that spot? I think she would be fantastic to take over for Greg Popovich once he does decide to to move on, which could be honestly sooner than later, given right. the direction that the organization decides to go in, because I don't think he would be I don't think he would necessarily not be able to handle a rebuild, but I don't think at this point in his career, he would want to have to go through something like that. Um, Knowing the kind of success that he's had, but more so than anything, you know, there's been conversations about him potentially retiring anyway, within the next couple of years, his family life has changed a little bit in terms of his family dynamic. And that may be a major consideration for him going forward. So you never know. 
Because as, as far as the Spurs' time frame, you know, they don't win every year and they don't win every other year. It's a weird timeline with how the Spurs win their championships. What was it, 99, 2003, mm-hmm. 2007, and then a weird gap from 7 to 14. And so what they have five championships total, right? That's right. So, you know, it's about that time. Where, you know, as far as the Spurs clock goes, that they're supposed to be winning another championship. So, uh, and they're not built to do that right now. So how does, how does that formulate or how does that coincide with their plans for the future and how they plan to draft, whether it be trading to move up or staying packed and taking what's left? Uh, Like you said, they're in a weird spot. Uh, It'll be interesting what they do. I think they make a draft night trade. You know, don't I'm gonna knock on wood here before <laughs> before I jinx some things or mess things up. But they're in a weird spot, like I say, and they've got a lot of a lot of pieces, you know. And there's there's been some quote unquote shade going on. You know, they they displayed their latest new jerseys, but you didn't see Demar Derozan, you didn't see Lamarcus Aldridge in that photo. So more speculation arises as to their future with the team. Yeah. Uh, and I think DeMar DeRozan's in more trouble than Aldridge is, to be honest with you. But, you know, the Spurs are unpredictable with what they're going to do and the certain things that they need, whether they're going to move specific pieces that have done semi-well for them over the years, like Derek White and players like that, and, you know, DeJounte Murray, who they, you know, they want to keep and make a part of their future plans. But when it comes to uh, the Mavericks, they know what they need. They need defense, and they need a third guy. Um, which is more important to them? I don't know, because I don't know if they're going to be able to get a two-in-one package, you mm-hmm. know, getting it through Holiday. They're going to have to either decide to get a defender or they have to get a third star, whether he's a defender or not. And the the Zach Levine that you brought up, that is something I haven't heard yet, but that is extremely interesting and would be very interesting to shove into that, into that mix right there because – um, I, I've seen, you know, the the chances of what people think the Lakers are going to do as far as repeating, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think they will. You know, it would be awesome because I'm a LeBron fan, but <laughs> you know, as far as the landscape with the landscape of things go, you know, Warriors coming back healthy, Mavs trying to reload, um, you know, Portland not going to do as crappy as last year probably and be at a higher seed, Nuggets coming back. Clippers reloading most likely. This is going to be back and healthy again, so it's going to be even harder to repeat this year than any other year in recent years. So it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting thing come draft night and when the NBA starts up in exactly a month and eight days from today, which yeah. is crazy to say. Crazy to think about. <laughs> it really true. is. But guys. Once again, this is Kevin Gray Jr. at Kevin Gray Sports on Twitter. Make sure you guys go drop him a follow. Check him out. And if you guys are in the Dallas area, make sure you guys listen to 105.3 The Fan. And even if you're not in the Dallas area, you can check him out on TuneIn Radio at 105.3 The Fan. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show and and talking sports with us. Appreciate you coming by, man. Hey, appreciate the time, man. My daughter made a slight appearance there. No bad. But, uh, no, I appreciate it, man. It was a lot of fun, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay grinding and keep handling your business, man. It was a lot of fun. appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. And this has been the Lowdown Sports Show, Episode 1.